Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. That is what Matthew said that Jesus did. That he went around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. But you ever wonder what a day doing all of that looks like? Well, I think the miracles that Matthew talks about before this verse in chapter 9 gives us a snapshot into Jesus' daily life. Ultimately, Jesus saw the people of the surrounding towns and villages of Galilee as distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. That's found in verse 36 of chapter 9. And his love for these distressed and dejected people and his desire to shepherd and guide them led him to do what he did every day. And also to be about his father's business drove him to do what he did every day. But what does that day look like? Well, one part of an average day for Jesus was teaching. Teaching in the synagogues or teaching at the house and teaching from the house he was staying in. In Matthew chapter 9, on this day, a bunch of people showed up to criticize Jesus and his disciples. And you know, that is something Jesus had to deal with every day. Critical people looking to tear down his ministry. Well, on this day in chapter 9 of Matthew chapter 9, on this day it was a bunch of disciples of John the Baptist who showed up to complain. Now their question was, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Why don't you? See, fasting, it was considered an important part of religious life to the average God-fearing Jew. Now to fast means you would give up food for a period of time, and some Jews would fast twice a day, while others would fast at least once or twice a week. Now again, fasting meant you were abstaining from food, and you did that so you could devote yourself to God, specifically to praying. The problem was, and Jesus knew this, that some of the Pharisees fasted to be seen of men. They fasted so they could show off to the others around them at how spiritual they were. I've, I've been fasting all day today. Now, these men who showed up to Jesus were not Pharisees. Instead, they were disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptized in the name of the Lord, and people came out to see him in order to repent of their sin and to be baptized and to show their allegiance to Yahweh. Well, along the way, some of the men who came out to repent and be baptized stayed with John and began to follow his teachings about the coming Messiah. Now, the fact that John was trying to point his disciples to Jesus seems somehow to be lost on these disciples of John. 
Most of John's disciples had begun to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, but there were some who still did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and they refused to follow Jesus, but instead stuck to being disciples of John. And they were there, these particular disciples of John, to disprove to Jesus that he wasn't the Messiah. And they wanted to show to all the world, I think, that this Jesus, he wasn't Lord, he wasn't Messiah. Because clearly, if he was, he'd be fasting. And these disciples, what they wanted to show was that Jesus was not following the usual religious system. He was not following the traditions. And so they complained and they criticized. Well, Jesus responds with an example and with an important metaphor as he began to teach. Jesus said, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? That's what he said in response to their question. Why don't your disciples fast like we do? And his response was, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. Matthew 9, verses 15 through 17. See, Jesus was a master teacher. And he loved to use simile and metaphor to try to get across the truth of the kingdom. Well, here he begins by giving them the example or the metaphor of a groom and the bridal party. Jesus told these men that his disciples did not fast because the groom was there. And fasting is a sign of sadness and repentance, which is fine, but the disciples of Jesus would not do as long as the groom was still there. The party was not over. So until the groom leaves, the party continues, and that's why the disciples of Jesus do not fast. The groom's still here. The party's still going on. And then Jesus compares the moment he and his disciples were in to that of a new wine being put in old, dried-up wineskins. Anyone who knew anything knew to not put new wine into old, leathery, dried-up wineskins. You just don't do that. And again, Jesus is using a practice that would have been well-known to the people around him to try to teach them a kingdom truth. See, back then, people stored drink in a leather pouch made of animal skin. Over time, those leathery pouches would dry up and would not stretch out as well as they used to. So if you put new wine into those same pouches, the pouch would burst and tear. Now, why was that? Well, because the new wine was bubbly and fresh. The fermenting juice would send off gases that would cause the wineskin to puff out and grow big. Well, when that happened in the new wineskins... Well, they weren't as dried up as the old ones, and they could take the expansion, and they would just expand with it so they could contain the liquid, but not old wineskins. 
Those skins could not expand enough and would tear and burst. Jesus is saying his disciples are like that new wine with new ideas and convictions. And Jesus himself is teaching new ways and new thoughts. And one of those new approaches was not fasting while Jesus was here. The old wineskin said you had to fast two or three times a day. Jesus' new teaching taught to celebrate with the groom, with Jesus, as long as he was with them. And this new teaching put into new wineskins was perfect. But in the old wineskins of you, disciples of John, it would burst. It'd be useless. You know, some people are like these old disciples of John and are caught up in tradition and ritual. You know, some people are so caught up in tradition that they miss God standing right in front of them. And so where it was with these disciples of John, they were so caught up with how you should do things. You should fast twice a day. If you can, you should fast at least once a week. And we have rituals and we have traditions. And they were so caught up in those traditions that they missed God standing right in front of them. Celebrate, Jesus. Revel in the fact that you have the Son of God with you right here. You know, I think some of you listening to this are like these disciples. You love a certain Christian tradition. Maybe you like the service or all the pomp and circumstance and of your particular Christian tradition, but you have no clue where Jesus is. You have no clue where Jesus is in the middle of those traditions. You don't know what, you know, your group believes about Jesus. You just love the sight, sounds, and the rituals. I hope that's not you. I hope you see and pursue Jesus. Well, whew, that took a while, and Jesus had just got done dealing with these men and their theological questions, and he was sitting there, maybe about to go into another teaching, when all of a sudden a man burst into the room and asked to see Jesus. When he sees Jesus, finds out which one is him, this man comes and kneels before him, and and Jesus could tell that this man had been clearly crying and was incredibly upset. Choking back tears, this man said, M My daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. That's what it says in verse 18. Resurrection? Had Jesus done this before? Well, he hadn't in the book of Matthew yet. If he hadn't, then this man is exhibiting great faith. I mean, Jesus had not risen anyone from the dead, right? He hadn't resurrected anyone yet. And I think it would have taken immense faith by this man to believe Jesus could perform an amazing miracle like raising someone from the dead, especially since he had never done something like this before. Jesus hadn't done this before. In response to this great act of faith by this man, Jesus gets up. He just gets up and goes with the man. Jesus, in Matthew's telling, said nothing but simply went with the man. I think he was amazed at this man's faith. Well, as Jesus was walking out of the house, I mean, this is big deal stuff. He's got to go raise 
someone from the dead. I mean, this would keep all your thoughts and your focus, right? This is enough work on its own. Well, as he's walking out of the house, I think as he begins to turn the corner and starts to walk down the road, suddenly a woman reaches out a hand and touches, just barely touches the bottom of his robe. Probably in the crush of people surrounding Jesus, the this woman felt the best way to touch Jesus was to go low and touch the bottom edge of his robe. She could crawl under the people through the legs and just reach out a hand. And the woman was thinking, if I could just touch his robe, if I could just touch the person of Jesus, if I could just do that, then I'd be healed of this terrible sickness. See, this woman was bleeding and she kept bleeding and it wouldn't stop and because of her bleeding this woman was sadly always ceremonially unclean and she couldn't go worship god at the temple because of it and she had tried the bible says various doctors to help her to stop this constant bleeding but none of their methods had worked none of it and so in one last desperate act of faith, she decided to show up to this town and just try to touch the hem of the garment that Jesus was wearing. The Bible says in Matthew 9, 21, that the woman says, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. That is faith. So she did it. She touched his robe the hem of the robe at the bottom by his feet. And the interesting thing is this. In the middle of this crush of people with everyone touching him, Jesus felt the touch of this woman. In fact, after she had touched Jesus, Jesus turned and, and I think he finds her and makes eye contact. And then in the middle of all this people, he yells out, Have courage, daughter. Your faith has saved you. And I wonder if people looked at Jesus and go, who are you talking to? What are you saying? But Jesus knew who he was talking to. And I think the woman laying on the ground just looks up at Jesus and smiles. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Now the thing is, it was her faith in Jesus that saved her. It was her faith in Jesus that healed her. It wasn't the quality of her faith, but rather the focus of her faith. She had a need, found a person who could fix it. She put her faith in Jesus. And, and I just want to say, we need to be careful to not lose sight of that. It was her faith in Jesus that had saved her, that had healed her. And it also took courage for her to act that way. I can imagine the people around her mocking her and the Pharisees pushing her back. And, you know, maybe the average Jewish person in that crowd shoved her down. And again, she is on the outskirts of society. Nobody wants to be around her. She's gross. She bleeds all the time. And they make fun of her. And yet... <laughs> Jesus saw her and says, have courage, daughter. You did the right thing. You came to me. You didn't listen to the mocking voices around you. Well done. 
Whew, what a day so far. He'd witnessed and dealt with a potentially explosive situation in answering the disciples of John. Then he had just healed a woman just by being touched. And now Jesus has to follow these men that he's with and go to the home of this man who wants him to raise his daughter from the dead. Well, as they get near the house, Jesus is going to see the sight before him. He's going to see a home full of men and women weeping and wailing crying loudly, probably paid to be there, to be seen of everyone around them. See, these men and women were probably official mourners. In Jesus' day, you hired people to mourn for you. And here, this man or his wife had hired mourners and flute players, which is interesting, to play a sad, sad song. And then the mourners would weep and cry as the flautist would play a sad, sad song. Now remember, this man had faith that Jesus could resurrect his daughter. So again, I don't think it was him. I think he thought, hey, my daughter's going to be raised. I don't want mourners and sad flute players hanging around. Either way, Jesus walks up to the house, and he probably had to work his way through all the wailing and flute playing. And as he's walking through them, Jesus turns and tells them to stop. Leave. Because this girl is not dead. She is simply asleep. And when the people heard that, oh, <laughs> they began to laugh and to make fun of Jesus. Seriously, she's just asleep. Are you sure? I can imagine someone shouted, are you sure from the crowd? I saw her and she'd stop breathing. Maybe you stop breathing when you sleep, Jesus. But for the rest of us, that means you're dead. And the people laughed. And, and made fun of him. And I think the flute player started to play some really fancy, goofy tune to just make fun of him. And then Jesus leaves. And he walks up the stairs of the house. He goes to this girl's room, walks in, and simply reaches out his hand, took the girl by the hand, and the girl stood up. She was alive. She wasn't dead. Jesus had resurrected a girl everyone else knew was dead. The mourners and flute players had all been shoved outside, but I wonder what they must have looked like when Jesus came back down holding the hand of a walking, talking girl. I imagine the flute player went sharp, you know, the singers trailed off and one even squeaks as their mouths all drop open in amazement. The dead girl was alive. Man, this sounds like a busy day and Guess what? It's not even over yet, for as Jesus began to walk back to Matthew's house, having just raised somebody from the dead, a large group begins to follow him, excited about the miracles they had heard and seen. Well, in this crowd following him were two blind men. They were probably being led along, just doing their best to keep up. You know, maybe some of them shove them around. Maybe some of them help them, trying to lead them along in their blindness. And then finally, one of them cries out, Have mercy on us, son of David! 
Now, it's interesting that these men, or at least one of them, calls Jesus the son of David. See, by doing that, they were essentially calling Jesus the Messiah. See, during Jesus' day, there was great expectation that the Messiah would return. A lot of Jews were waiting for that. And these men reflect that anticipation by saying, Son of David! Well, once Jesus reaches Matthew's house, and Jesus invites them in. And he invites the two blind men in, in particular. And he says to them, Do you believe I can do this? I think by asking them that, do you believe I can do this? I think by asking them that, Jesus is asking these men, do you really believe that I am the Messiah? Do you believe that I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 35 verses 5 through 6? There it says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Do you really believe I can do this? Do you really believe I'm the Messiah? To which the men answer, yes, Lord. Then the Bible says, Jesus touched their eyes. He touches their eyes and he says, let it be done according to your faith. Now what Jesus meant there was not, again, the amount of faith these blind men had or like the woman with the bleed, right? Not the quality of their faith, not the brilliance of their faith, no. Again, it's who did the blind men put their faith in? They had placed their faith in Jesus. Their focus was Jesus, not another God. It was according to their faith in Jesus. That's what healed them. Jesus simply touches their eyes. says, let it be done according to your faith. And the men could see. They were healed. I can imagine these men are jumping around. They can see now. They're probably, look at me in the mirror. Hey, look at that piece of food. Hey, I always wondered what my sandals look like. Hey, my socks don't match. What's up with that? You know, but they could look around. They could see everywhere and they're so excited. And then Jesus calms them down and says, hey, if you could keep this healing to yourself. In fact, the Bible says he sternly warns them. He didn't want this miracle to get out especially this early in his ministry. He didn't want the crowds to begin to follow him in mass yet. And if miracles like this get out, then people would never leave him alone. So please, you've been healed, but don't tell anyone. In fact, Jesus commands them to say nothing. But sadly, these men didn't listen. They did the exact opposite. They went out and told everyone. Which makes you wonder about these men. They got what they wanted out of Jesus. And so, hey, forget about obeying you, Jesus. I got the healing. I can see. Jesus commanded them to not tell anyone. But I can imagine these men are saying, yeah, you commanded me to not tell anyone, but I don't care. I won't obey what Jesus commands me. Hey, I want the benefits of following Jesus, the healings, the miracles. 
But I don't want any of that obedience stuff. You know, I don't want any of that obedience that's required to follow Jesus. No, I want the healing. In fact, I'm going to go tell everyone. They got the healing. But there was no obedience. No true following of Jesus here. You know, how many of us are living that way? We have Christian friends. We maybe even go to church and hang out and do a lot of Christian things because we like the life. We like the people, but we don't obey him. We don't obey what Jesus commands, and it's clearly laid out in Scripture. Uh, we may sleep around, or we may steal. We, we may cheat on a test, you know. I may have some bad friends who encourage me to go do some stuff I know I shouldn't be doing down at the bar. or I know I shouldn't have these bad attitudes towards people God says I should love. And Hey, and that whole tithing thing, forget about that. But ultimately, you know, I, I like Jesus, and, and, and I like what he does for me, and I like all the wonders, and I like the people that follow him. I like a lot of that. Isn't that cool enough? Jesus says on the day of judgment that there will be people who Jesus will have to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Matthew 7 verse 22, it says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Verse 23, then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Jesus commanded them to say nothing. I wonder if that fits in that lawbreaker command. And I wonder if these blind men are in that category. Lawbreakers who just wanted the healing, but they didn't want Jesus in the end. Well, it's nearing the end of the day, and so far Jesus has spent time teaching deep theological truths and then rose a dead person from the dead and along the way healed someone by simply having them touch the hem of his garment. He made two blind men be able to see. And after all that, you could fall into bed exhausted with everything he'd done. But no, no, there was one more healing. One more person that Jesus would make a difference in their life. The Bible says just as Jesus was leaving, going out, the Bible says that a demon-possessed man came to him. He couldn't speak. He'd been made mute by the demon that possessed him. Can you imagine the terrible fear this person faced every day? The ravages of being possessed by a demon, the terrible reality of that. But this evil spirit, this evil demon did something even worse. This evil demon took away this man's speech so he couldn't talk. Can you imagine that? Being unable to tell someone you love them, being unable to have a conversation with a best friend, what a terrible, tragic life. And then to be possessed by a demon on top of that. And I wonder if Jesus, exhausted and probably desperately wanting to go to bed, looked at this man 
saw his distress, and he knew he couldn't walk away. And so Jesus heals him. He takes the time to heal him. First, he drives the evil demon out of the man. And once he did that, the man was able to speak. Man, isn't this exciting? Again, Jesus is explicitly fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah. Again, Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind will be open. He just did that with two men. The ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. That is what Jesus was doing. He's healing the mute so they can sing for joy. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. This is Jesus showing to the world who he really is. Seeing this, seeing all of this, there were two responses to it all. Some were amazed and told everyone about who Jesus was. And the Bible says that many people, verse 33 they said that nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. They were absolutely amazed because they knew who they were following. They knew who they were staring at, the Messiah. But yet there were some people who saw something completely different. Sadly, these people remained spiritually blind. And they just refused to see who Jesus was. One of these groups were the Pharisees. And when they saw what Jesus did, driving this demon out of this man, you know what they did? They accused Jesus of being Satan. It says in Matthew 9, verse 34, But the Pharisees said, He drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. I mean, how dumb is that? Why would Satan drive himself out of possessing a man? That makes no sense. But those are two responses. Either you say, nothing like this has ever been seen before. Or, he's not God. He's Satan. Well, today, in Matthew 9, in this 24-hour day, Jesus taught. Jesus healed. Jesus rose a, a girl from the dead. Jesus gave sight to the blind. And then Jesus gave voice to the voiceless. Jesus saw the dejected and distressed around him. And Jesus brought into that distress peace. He brought into that pain joy. And in doing so, Jesus showed everyone that he is the messiah and there were many who followed jesus from what they saw and many would join the throng then call jesus lord and king of kings and lord of lords but sadly there were those who refused to hear like the disciples of john the baptist they refused to see like the pharisees and instead they accused jesus of working for his greatest adversary, Satan. My question is, which one are you? You've heard all the wonders that Jesus did in this day. And at the end of it, 
Do you see Messiah? Or do you refuse to see Messiah and instead you see a mocker? Do you see Messiah or do you see a marauder? Do you see a Messiah or do you see some big fake? I hope you see Messiah. I hope you see that Jesus is the only Messiah. Jesus is the only hope you have. And I hope, like the woman with the issue of blood, and I hope, like the man who wanted to see his daughter raised from the dead, I hope you put your faith in this Jesus. And like the rest of us, you say, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. I put my believing loyalty and faith in you. I pray you do that today. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.